Hey, women in medicine. It's me, Dr. Erin Wiseman, your colleague in medicine and coach in life. And this is the Dr. Me First podcast. It is all about authentic conversations between female physicians. And through these conversations, I hope to bring you encouragement, inspiration, hope, and fun into your life and practice. No more feeling alone in medicine because you have now found a community of truth speakers, lifesavers, fierce females who want to support each other in life and in medicine. Well, this is episode number 20, and I cannot believe I've gotten to 20. So good, and I'm so glad that you've come along with me on the journey. I'm talking with Dr. Mo today. She is an extraordinarily talented physical medicine physician, but also she's a coach. But what she coaches around is fabulous. It's love and relationships. So the word that we're going to be talking about today is love. I really hope that you enjoy our conversation. I got a lot out of it. And again, she's just amazing to talk with. So listen to the conversation, then stick around for that kick of encouragement afterwards and find out about a little special treat at the end that I'm giving away to all of you who are listening. Hey, everybody. Dr. Wiseman's back. I have a beautiful guest with me today, Dr. Help me out here. I just lost my pronunciation. (laughs) Loosely. LeBlanc, Dr. Mo. Dr. Mo. I like that so much better. I get nervous with pronunciations of names. I know I told you that earlier. And anybody who comes on my guest, if it's not like Dr. Wiseman, then I I just like freak out a little bit. Anyway, Dr. (laughs) Mo is here with me today. And I'm going to let her introduce herself to all of you lovely women out there. Hi, ladies. I'm the mind, body, heart, and soul doctor, and I'm coming to you with the love energy today. And I'm so excited to be on Dr. Wiseman's show. Um, It's amazing. And I'm actually a rehab doctor, a physiatrist. And so I I tell people I'm already the feel-good doctor. I'm the doctor who's focused on quality of life and, and how to get people back to doing the things they love. And so this was kind of an easy transition for me when I became a coach because I was already doing a lot of coaching in my medical career. Absolutely. And so who specifically are the people you coach? So I actually do relationship coaching. So I went through a major bump within my, within my marriage and, you know, I do what people do. I get online and search at 3 a.m. <laughs> See what shows up. Um, and I got matched with an amazing program. And it was like, well, you know, of course we as doctors, we, we don't want to admit that we need help. But the ad was, do you want help for your marriage and help others too? And I'm like, yes, give me some of that because I want to help other people because I can't admit that I have a problem myself, you know? So that's how I got into relationship coaching, but it was the most healing and transformative thing that I've ever done. And while I would never wish my personal experience on anybody, I always say that I'm so grateful for the difficult journey because I wouldn't be who I am and where I am today if it wasn't for that. Um, I really felt like God needed to shake up my life a little bit to get me to really look around, take a good look around and see, see what needed to be changed. Cause I was really living in an illusion. Like everything's great. Work's great. Life's great. Everything, you know, and I, I, 
I, I wasn't really in tune to what, what was really happening and what was really going on. And I feel as, as physicians, that's what we do. We just kind of go through the day-to-day mundane of just, okay, get to work, take care of people, pick up some kids from daycare or something or school. Let's go to a soccer game, maybe. You know, like we're just living life in a blah state, not really, not even really seeing the issues that, that are really there. And so it really got me to take a good look at my life and make a decision to say, I, I want what I want. It, it got me to be clear on what do I even want? I had gotten so disconnected with myself. I didn't even know what I liked. I was so into people pleasing. It's like, oh, whatever you like. I'm, I'm easy to please, whatever you like. You know, I don't want to rock the boat. Like, you know, and so it really got me to really get real with, okay, what do I feel? Because that was the other thing. I was very numb. I didn't feel anything. People would ask me, how's your day? And I'd, I'd look at people cross-eyed, like, I don't even know what that means. I'm living. <laughs> and, and not really feel, be able to feel an emotion. And so it got me to really connect inward, uh, ask myself, what do I feel? And being able to ask myself, what do I want? And become more authentic to my true self and be vulnerable in that. And really what that was doing, it was showing myself love and compassion. Mm-hmm. And, and you that's what your it- sister friend preach. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Absolutely. You know, and I think we've had such similar experiences that, I mean, my heart just like jumps out of my chest to hear you talk about this, like that deepest, darkest moment. Uh, you don't want to wish that on anybody, but how transformational, you know, has that been to your life? I know that's how I've been the same way uh, as yeah, I think right? about truly helping other people is like, I needed to have my shit shook up. Oh, yeah. Really- Because either life is happening to you or you're taking life by the bullhorns and creating a wonderful life. And it's totally up to us. So are we going to let life happen to us or are we going to be co-creators and make something really fantastic? What do you think it is about us physicians that that happens to us? Because I know it's not just us two. Uh, There are thousands and thousands of women that I know that feel or maybe in that moment right now where they just feel numb or broken. And honestly, I I feel like so much of the process of getting into medical school, making it through medical school residency. I mean, I tell people like it was a break you down process. You know, we had a running joke in medical school that this is boot camp, except we paid to be here. Yeah, <laughs> really. I mean, it's like yes. well, breaks you down and you hope that they build you up enough at the end process to go ahead and be fruitful and effective and healing to people. But not all of us are so lucky. I mean, I had to take a year off of medical school uh, towards the end to just pick up the pieces. I mean, I felt like a shattered soul and I just felt like I need to get something else in life that gives me value. I can't take my value from what was my score from this test? How did I perform on this rotation? What do my attendings think about me? Like 
it was too all-consuming. And I, I think all of us, in order to be able to get into medical school, we're so on this, you know, we have to be the best of the best of the best. And even still, we don't feel en- good enough. Mm-hmm. I think that's the root of the culture a little bit is the the striving for perfection, like the not good enough, because then it's like, you know, everybody's grades were posted. And so, you know, who did, who was the top, who was not, I don't know if that's changed since I, since, you know, now with our medical students now, but I mean, I'm a DO. So I felt like going into osteopathic school, it, it, it had a different feel, even as I was interviewing with um, MD allopathic you know, medical schools, that there was some caring, some compassions, a little bit different flair to it. But looking back on it now, too, I still see where that competitiveness and that like uber type A and that perfectionistic view was kind of the hidden curriculum. It was there. I mean, my school was pass fail, but pass fail honors. It was still incredibly competitive. (laughs) And yeah, they still divide you up at the end of the day, like when they're writing your letter. So they know, are you in the top third, middle third, or lower third? So it's pervasive. It is. It is. And I mean, I applaud you for even taking time because I think of myself that like past Aaron, I don't even think I would have had the courage or the confidence to say, okay, time out. I need to take a break here because of just. I don't know, something in my brain. And just to hear you say you took time off, I'm like, oh my God, you know, (laughs) but you know, so many other people, like to me, I know you were doing it to help yourself, but so many other people in the the healthcare culture would be like, well, what's wrong with Dr. Mo? You know what I mean? You know what? It's so interesting you say that, right? So I, I came from an Ivy League medical school and the culture there was very much the opposite. Like 30% of each class actually took a year off. And what they did was they did research. Mm. So of course I did some research. So it's like, it actually made us more competitive candidates. Mm-hmm. So I took a year off and did some research, but I got my life back together. That's what I, that was my, my main MO <laughs> on my CV. I did some research. Yeah. So. Where I was the opposite way. I was just like, bury your head, get through it as fast as possible. You know, it's <laughs> I couldn't have even imagined like taking a break, but now looking back at it, uh, I would have been so much healthier uh, just in general to, you know, take some time as far as with all of that. But anyway, well, I love it. Well, talk to us today a little bit about your word. You pick the word love. And I told you before that I love, love, love it. And <laughs> I'm just so interested to hear why love. So you know, being a, being a physician and being a perfectionist, um, a healing perfectionist, why don't we say that, right? I'm so, a recovering perfectionist. That's, recovering, what I that's the word. That's the word. <laughs> um, when, when I went through the darkest time, I didn't see myself as somebody who didn't love myself, you know? And, you know, you know, a lot of times, like I was very critical, I was very judgmental. And, you know, when you read a lot of quotes about that, they say, oh, people who are so critical are most critical to themselves. And I was like, I don't really have that negative self-talk. I actually think pretty highly of myself. So it never resonated with me until I saw a quote that said something along the lines of every time you criticize somebody else, 
It's a pat on your own back. And that really made me get it. That it wasn't that I was saying I'm bad, I'm horrible, but I was putting down other people to prove that I was better than them, that I was good enough, that I was, because if I, w- if I already felt good enough, I wouldn't need to validate that validation by putting other people down and judging people. And so that's when it kind of clicked for me, that there was a self-love, a self-esteem issue there. And when I was able to really get real and raw and look in the mirror and be able to say that, that I don't love myself enough, then I was very easy, it became very easy to see it in other people. So every patient who walked into my room complaining of chronic pain and this and that and all these chronic autoimmune issues, I'm just looking at them and I'm really looking at a reflection in the mirror. And I'm seeing that they have a self-love issue. And so after I became a relationship coach, it completely transformed my practice because I started calling people out on it. Not that I was harsh or, you know, direct, like you don't love yourself, but I started giving them tools on showing them how to love themselves, you know, showing them how to create a daily self-care practice that helps sustains them and energizes them so that they fill their cup to give to others. Absolutely. Because it's so essential. I mean, this is the stuff I really feel like we all should have had about a six month rotation on is about how to live your life well. And that it first starts with loving yourself. Yes. Yeah. Because I can experience the same thing when I started going through um, coaches training. It honestly wasn't as much about learning how to coach other people, but it was coaching myself through these issues, you know, Mm -hmm. digging through my own shit and figuring out that, you know, we're both very confident women. Like we do big stuff, you know, we're the cat's meow, but behind all of that, there's a lot of stuff that we need to unpack that unfortunately we don't always do it well. And we don't do it in the presence of trusting relationships. And in order to keep moving forward, we feel like you just got to box it up and throw it in that closet. And I felt like coaching training for me was opening up that closet going through every single stinking box, sweeping it all out, mm-hmm. getting rid of the things that are no longer serving me. Because, you know, honestly, there's some things that um, are very good trait patterns that we all have, like being perfectionistic and like wanting to excel and doing really good on right. papers or, you know, that that served us to get into medical school. That maybe served us as medical students. But now as we're out in life, that is no longer a serving thought that everything has to be perfect and done on a deadline or we're a failure. And so that's, that's what training was for me. And that's what I personally take um, my clients through that journey. And that's why I think it's so important for everybody to have a coach because the coaching relationship is so different than um, a therapist or a counselor, or even a mentor. Because I feel like the coach is someone who sits next to you when you're going through your closet and kind of puts that hand on your back and say, it's okay, let's open this box. And then when you don't want to open the box, that's when they're like, I'm getting the scissors out. Here you go. (laughs) Open it up. But then also when you start bawling in the middle of opening up your stuff, you know, they're that shoulder that really, that can relate because they've done it too. Exactly. And they've been through it. So I always encourage everybody. 
with coaching, you're equally as vulnerable with your clients. And, and that's the difference with counseling and other sorts of things like mentoring, where there's a hierarchy. I know everything and you know nothing. And I'm going to feed you information without having that validation that this person has been there and knows exactly what you're feeling. So I agree with you. I love, love coaching. I think it's so powerful. And using coaching in my doctoring patient relationships has transformed my relationships. Um, I mean, as you can tell, you I'm like already it, it. it just, it like, it opens the floodgates on, on that doctor patient relationship. You're no longer surface level. Like, Oh, let's do this to try to make your mornings a little better. Like when they come back to you and they have that like established care and that like, Hey, you told me about like, maybe I needed to try to do some self-care and I did this and it worked. You know, that feels so much better than handing somebody a script because you just just empowered them for the rest of their life. Exactly. And I mean, as you can tell, I've, I'm kind of already known, (laughs) I was already known as the touchy feely doctor. They send me all the difficult cases or the people who have a lot of social issues you know, so I mean, it's not like I didn't have deep relationships with my patients who I knew personal things about their lives. But when I was able to open up and say, well, I can relate and I've been there too. And I share something about myself, the depth that came from that. I mean, like it was just, it's just indescribable. It just, it dove like like cubed our relationship, not even squared it, but cubed the depth of our relationships. And what I saw was that a lot of the people I was treating with chronic pain and just this unrelenting pain, like it just got better. It's like, okay, I didn't increase your medication. I didn't start anything new, but they come back after doing four weeks of self-care. And it's like, yeah, my pain is like 75% better. My this, my that, my my stress levels, you know, I'm so much happier. Things at home are more calm. And you just realize that um, there's a big aspect of doctoring that we're missing by standing behind the veil. Yeah. And we're, we're doing a disservice to our patients. I and always talk about it's it's not the white coat. It's the woman under the white coat, because yeah. that's what that's what our patient population is truly desiring. That's what we're desiring for ourselves um, because we're, we're all over it. We're all over the, the sterileness. Life's messy. We might as well make it, you know, to dive in that mess with people. And I mean, there's boundaries, of course, that we all have to maintain. But, you know, sometimes there's just a lot of gray area. And like you said, when you, you open up, I remember being in the office and someone was, you know, given their scenario and I was just like, I've been there too, you know, and, and I think it is just, there's something powerful um, first and foremost with the doctor patient relationship, but when it dives down to that deeper level, those are when your heartstrings are kind of tied together and you remember that. Totally. And, you know, going back to the love word, I mean, I, I even deep dived even further because the journey of becoming a coach just led me into this whole energy world of energy medicine and how you can use love energy, the high vibration, high frequency of love energy to do healing work. It's, I'm not the person who I was a year ago. I I left my job 
in academic medicine. I, I do, I'm an independent contractor, you know, I, you know, I do contracted work for a hospital two days a week, flexible schedule. And I opened up my own energy medicine practice. So it's, uh, it's really crazy because a lot of the things that I said, that doesn't exist. That's not possible. I don't, that's craziness. I'm doing it and I'm seeing the results, uh, the, the great patient results. So um, I'm a believer and, you know, it, it, it really does make a difference. And believe me, I'm not one of those people who are saying throw out conventional medicine. It's very necessary. It's very important. Patients need all of that. But when you add the other aspect, it just magnifies and uh, it just creates a synergistic relationship that it's phenomenal. Hey, girl, you're preaching to the choir with my neo quackery. So I know all about that that business. And I mean, I I think it really is true. I mean, I think I'm a DO time. at heart. I wanted to go to DO school and then felt pressured to do the MD route. So I'm with you, sister. Good, good. No, but I think I think it really when we start putting blocks on ourselves and saying no, that's not possible, or no, there's no evidence behind it. Or, you know, when we start blocking things with that, that was one thing I appreciated by being an osteopathic medical student was that they gave us tools to, to talk to our patients about that, you know, say they did like bring a study in that said like mayonnaise cures acne or, you know, something kind of a little, mm -hmm. and instead of just shutting them down, you know, we learn communication skills to be like, well, tell me about it. What do you think about it? And because there's so much to that. And, you know, with coaching as well as I do, when you have an internal belief, that shit comes true, be it oh, yeah. positive or negative. Or negative. <laughs> so if our patients believe you know, if they hold on to that diagnosis of I'm an in-stage diabetic, you know, and you look at them on paper, you're like, no, we lose some weight. You know, we can get you backed off these medicines, get you on a healthy diet. You know, you're not. But once they like marry that idea to their identity of that, yeah. I don't care how much Lantis you throw at them. That's what they're that's what they're diagnosed. That's what their terminal diagnosis is going to be to them. And so that's why I think it is so important to, to be comfortable enough with ourselves to be able to engage in those conversations right. that maybe we don't always support, but by being open enough and having the time, having enough self-care so that you're not so exhausted that you're just trying to rush through your day, getting enough sleep so you can mentally process through it, and having great enough relationships, interpersonal relationships in your life that you can you know, feel supported that then you can go out into a very difficult career that we have mm -hmm. and have conversations with people um, that before I know with me, when I was extremely crispy with burnout, you know, I just shut people down. I'm like, no, it's not how it is. You know, where now at least I'm willing to have the dialogue with them and be like, well, tell me about it. Your grandma found this this essential oil stuff that you rub in your right nostril and on your left pinky toe and it cured her cancer. Tell me about it. Right. Because if you support them and just listen to them and give them a safe space to be heard, then when you speak reason to them and not, not in a condemning way, but just to say, okay, well that's, 
that's not going to hurt you, but that's certainly something you can try. But let me share something with you about this. And let me share this study with you. They're open. Mm -hmm. They can hear you. Whereas if you shut them down, they've, they've already decided you're not even, they're not coming back. They don't want to hear anything you have to say. And so. Well, let's flip this too to our, our colleagues. Cause you know, I know like there's sometimes, I mean, I feel like I have good relationships with my doctor friends or the people that I work with that are physicians, but sometimes those are the most abrasive and unloving places oh, about yeah. our job. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Particularly as uh, doctors, cause we're so worried about crossing boundaries. We're not even humane to our colleagues sometimes. I mean, I just remembered, you know, like at other work situations where multiple people went through pregnancies and had babies or or even fathers having children, we didn't have a single shower for them. We as a department didn't put together a gift. Like I, I, I see patients at three different locations when I was working there. So at the other two locations, they threw me showers, they gave me gifts, but my own department, like, I felt like I had to hide my pregnancy. I was scared to tell my department that I was even pregnant, you know? So we can be so inhumane to, to, to our colleagues and just make it that much worse. And when someone's really having a hard time and going through burnout, the last people they feel like they can talk to are their colleagues. Mm-hmm. Even though the research says if the first people they can talk to are trusted colleagues, they're more likely to come out of burnout quicker and to to flourish beyond that. How do you how do you see as far as how we can love on our colleagues? I know for me. So I know I had a really tough time in medical school and even sharing any of my struggles with people. Everyone looked at me like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you get it together? And so one thing that's been a mission to me, because I don't feel that any suffering is ever in vain, like God always has a higher purpose, that I always tell my story. When I meet a medical student or whoever it is, and they're having a struggle moment, I always tell them my story and say, you know what? I've been there. I've been even lower than where you are right now. And I made it out and I'm attending at an Ivy League institution. I'm a director of, you know, cancer rehabilitation at an Ivy League institution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there's, you don't have to have shame. Mm -hmm. And when we take the shame out of it and people feel like they can bring their sorrows into the light without feeling judged, condemned, or isolated that's really the the first step to healing so I, I I do my best to mentor any students who are having a difficult time I think that's so important because there is so much shame in medicine there's so much and it's hidden and it's that like nasty in the corner creepy kind of shame that I'm with you that if we could just shed a light on it and just normalize it and say 
you know, and I, I think it's coming as we move forward. I think there's going to be more studies and, and more coming out. But one big one was in our age demographic as female physicians, um, 92% of us have had some sort of suicidal ideation. Mm. And I think getting that out so that people understand that, um, not that it's part of the territory, but if this is you and this is how you're feeling, you're not alone. You're absolutely not alone in this. And um, I know that's powerful because, you know, it's not always in the successes that you, you bind, you bound up with people that you connect with people, but more so in those tender moments at those, those wounds and those hurt points, just like when we find patients, you know, that's some, you know, we have greatest job satisfaction is when we help someone, I think as colleagues too, when we can, kind of, you know, show our wounds a little bit and say, you know, yeah. this is, this is where I got hurt. Um, and you're right. And this is how I persevered through it. This is the help that I got, or maybe this is the help that I wish I had gotten mm-hmm. to help the next person, um, is, is maybe a way that we can love on our colleagues a little bit more because we're all in it together. We are, you know, you, Hearing you talk makes me think of, uh, there's a colleague I had in medical school and we we work at, you know, totally different institutions. Um, but he went through a very difficult time. Uh, We haven't talked, you know, on phone in a long time, but he had a lot of issues when he opened up at his institution about what he was going through and he had to take a leave of absence, but he did not sit in the corner and be silenced. He was not silenced. He got on social media and shared his experience. He created a blog. And that's actually how I reconnected with him, that I saw his post on social media. And, you know, I was able to reconnect with him. But his vulnerability and being in it, sharing on an open platform, I mean, garnered so much support that he couldn't get face-to-face, one-on-one at his own institution. Um, so sometimes it's not going to come from, uh, an insular place, you know, because at the end of the day, unfortunately, sometimes we can treat our colleagues like crabs in a bucket. Like Mm -hmm. we're all just trying to climb to the top and if you can't do it, get out the way, you know, you know, and that's why I started my coaching business was because I didn't find any. But I wanted to be a light out to somebody. And I know here recently I've been going and pitching hospitals to be like, you need me for your people, you know, and it's been so hard. I mean, me being vulnerable about this is that no one's taken me up on it. No, no regional local hospitals as I've been like talking to their medical staff with their VPs, with their CEOs, like talking about physician wellness and wholeness is what I Mm. talk about. They, they aren't getting it yet, but I think that's what we need to do as a collective voice is just say, no, we demand this. We must have this. And if you cannot provide it for us, you need to bring in, you know, a Dr. Wiseman, a Dr. Mo, who is our colleague who has training in this and help us because it, it just, it amazes me the ignorance in it and the just ignoring. Cause like you said, when there's awareness, when there is a light shown on a problem, then we can address it. But until you have a diagnosis, you don't even know what you're treating yet. 
Right. And as I've been trying to pitch these hospitals, it's been the most frustrating, but yet biggest growing point for myself to go in there and be like, no, I am that doctor four years ago that you need to help today. Right. And, you know, as I'm hearing you speak, I'm like, well, if you walked into corporate, they'd say, sign me up because we, they understand that if they get their uh, employees in a better mindset, they become more efficient and they make the company more money. Mm-hmm. Um, healthcare lags behind that they really don't care about their physicians and they're, they're easily dispensable. Yeah. Um, I remember talking to a mentor, actually, and this was well before I left. It was, you know, it, it was just kind of a theoretical conversation like, oh, yeah, I wonder if I can ask for more of this or that. And my colleague who had been there for a long time said, this is a big, this is a big, well-moving, well-oiled machine, and you're just a cog. If you can make your request, but don't make it an ultimatum because they'll get rid of you and re- easily replace you. Yeah. And uh, that, that, that was what I heard like as an early attending, it was like, don't make waves, just get in line, get on the, you know. Yeah. And that's so, that's so frustrating because I really see physicians as the brightest, most creative, most innovative population. And when you take these people, you beat them down, you try to fit them into a square hole. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's no wonder we have so much brokenness. It's no wonder we all are hurting so much because how can you flourish within that model? And then therefore, then they start looking at patient satisfaction rates and, and all these other numbers. And they wonder why they wonder why the graph is trending down rather than even staying status quo. And it's like you said, it's that inability to, to just give us some freedom. Cause don't you feel like since you've become an independent contractor, like you had like three cement blocks taken off your back. I know I personally did. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I work when I want <laughs> I work as much as I work, as much as I want, when I want, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm the master of my own schedule and my own financial success. So yeah, it's, it's, Freeing, for sure. And I think that's what so many, so many of us are desiring is, um, you know, what a life well fulfilled looks like is freedom. And it looks, you know, like you love it. So this has been great conversation. You are gonna have to come back and pick another word. So we can keep talking about this. I know but, we could talk forever. I loved it. This oh my so gosh, we definitely could. We could. We got a cure. Healthcare, baby. We got to take it on, (laughs) kick its ass, shine some light on it, and make it so much better for everyone involved. Because I think it really does, healthcare can be sustainable for all. It's just going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of us um, standing up and holding arms together, because together we rise with it all. So for any listeners who have just loved what you talked about, Dr. Mo, and they're thinking, man, I need to get a hold of her. What is going to be the best way for them to find you and connect with you? Check out my website, www.unleashthehealingwithin.com. Again, unleashthehealingwithin.com. Um, you can send me a message. Uh, you could 
see all about my my clinic and I, I do virtual consultations as well, virtual healing sessions. So don't worry, you don't have to be local. Um, I definitely work with international clients um, all over the world. Isn't it amazing what the internet has done for us when we stop being scared of it and we start using it with our own power and our own energy. It's great. I love it too. Cause I do the same thing with, with televisits and everything. So, all right, well, that's a wrap everybody check out her website, unleash the healing within and come over to truth prescriptions and hang out with me. Wasn't that the most bomb interview with Dr. Mo? I mean, seriously, how can you not have a fun time when your topic is love? You talk about hidden curriculum in medicine and you finish up on the note that we did. I just loved her so much. I love what she's doing. And I want you guys seriously to go check out her website and interact with her because as sisters in medicine, we need to raise each other up. And she is definitely a shining light on the example of what we can make medicine into, taking lemons and turning them into lemonade drinks maybe with a splash of vodka. I don't know. But anyway, so for your kick of encouragement today, what really struck me from our conversation was when we started talking about the love for colleagues. Um, And as you can tell from that interview, it's a sore spot for me because now that I am healthier, I see the emptiness in people's eyes when I walk down the hallway of my hospital. I see just the utter fatigue when I run into a colleague at a soccer game or just out and about shopping and I see them with their family and I see how just utterly drained they are. So I've taken it upon myself to start talking about, you know, how do we not only take care of ourselves, but how do we take care of others? How to, how do we see somebody else is burned out and, you know, address it? Because, you know, it's pretty easy to be like, oh yeah, you're doing great. Okay. See you later instead of really getting down to the heart of the matter. So I want to share something that I had written. Actually, it was when I did a presentation last year for the IU and Marion University medical students. It was their firm conference, which is Finding Inspiration and Resiliency in Medicine. And they had asked me to come be a guest speaker, and I was totally honored. But going back and looking at my notes from that talk, I continue to find so much truth out of it. So I had given them different truth prescriptions, and this is truth prescription number two, and I titled it Acknowledging Someone Else's Pain. When you see a colleague with the hands-in-head position on the desk, don't avoid them like they have Ebola or TB, or by interacting with them, you're going to have bad outcomes or get divorced or get sued or your dog's going to die. Too many times in medicine, we are suffering in silence. One, because we're too prideful or ashamed to ask for help because we're worried about being perceived as weak. And two, because our colleagues have their heads buried so far down the ass of healthcare that they can't even see what's happening around them, particularly in the colleagues and the team that they work with. So two examples from my own life. The first one is the bad example. I was literally sitting at my desk, silently sobbing because I was so miserable. I was out of residency. I had the nice big fat check and I was miserable. I was being disrespected by staff. Nursing homes were just off the hook with phone calls in the middle of the night. And I just felt totally isolated. 
that day, one of my partners walked into my office, looked at me, noticed my con- condition. We made eye contact and then said, oh, you're busy. Turned around and walked out. Did not l- lend any help in the situation. So here's example number two, and this is the one that I hope you follow. Again, I was literally sitting at my desk, silently sobbing. See a trend here. Anyway, because I had been up for hours on the inpatient wards, my boobs felt like they were going to pop because I hadn't pumped for so long. My husband and I were not speaking to each other because we had been fighting and ready to tear each other's faces off the night before. And one of my resident classmates came over to my desk, squatted down and said, whatever has happened, I'm sorry. He gave me a big hug and asked, how can I help? You know, that moment forever changed my lives. And I am so appreciative of Dr. Jones for just acknowledging that I was in the middle of suck and that he didn't want to fix anything. He just wanted to know how he could help. So I encourage you, be the Dr. Jones in this world. When you see that colleague struggling, in pain, wounded, don't get scared and turn around and rush out of the room. Reach out to them. Be Dr. Jones. Even when it feels awkward, uncertain, unnatural, maybe you don't have the best relationship with that colleague, here's what I want you to do. I simply want you to say, I'm here for you. How can I help? And just stop right there. Don't talk anymore. Just say those few words. 90% of the cases, you know, they're going to try to brush you off. But I want you to stay persistent. And the next thing I want you to say is, I'm taking off my doctor coat right now. And I'm talking to you as a person. How can I help? Now, if they push you away again, okay, give them some space. But if they start crying, if they start opening up, be present for them. Just be there. Just listen. Don't try to solve their problems. Sit down and just purely be a person who's talking to another person. Because you know what? You might be the only person who actually sees their pain and has chose to acknowledge it. And that can make all the difference. Well, that's it for today. Episode number 20 is in the books. Well, I had mentioned a special offer or a special um, surprise in the intro. And here's what it is. Because this is episode 20, and I think you all are so amazing, I am giving away 20 free copies of the workbook I wrote, Dr. Me First. Are you seeing a theme here? This workbook is exactly what I needed four years ago when I was going through my own deals with burnout. I love making worksheets. Even as a young kid, I would make a bunch and make my little brother sit down and do them all. And I still love to do it, but now it's so much more fun to do it on the computer. And so I took all the coaching exercises that I learned through coaching training and I morphed them, took my sciency brain, my biology heart, my physician skills, and kind of put them into what I think is the best for female physicians to move you out of burnout and just surviving to a life of absolutely thriving. So there's over 50 exercises 
what it helps you do is to gain awareness on yourself and your situation, to do some assessments, to kind of see where you're at, and then actively plan action steps to moving you further into a life that you love. And so again, because I'm just so appreciative of you guys, and to celebrate episode number 20, I want to give away this workbook because I really do believe that it can change your life. So how do you get this free workbook? Super easy. Start an email. My email is going to be in the show notes. Put the title as Dr. Me First Workbook Giveaway. And then write in the comments um, that you heard it on the podcast, what you think about the podcast, and hit send. And then I will send you back the workbook in PDF form. So... I can't wait to see the responses. I can't wait to give out 20 copies of this. And I think that you will totally benefit from it as well. The other thing I want to mention, if you're not interested in the workbook, but you want more hands-on, in-your-face time, is that I am working on filling a female physician mastermind group. And what a mastermind is, it's like a support group on steroids. So it's a small collection, particularly for this group of female physicians only, who want to take their life and their business further. So I would be the facilitator, but also a member. And what we'll do is set up uh, three meetings, because um, I'm going to try all three first. And if the first three go great, then we're going to add more. But anyway, so we're going to set up three meetings virtually. There will be a theme with every meeting. There'll be a little bit of homework to do, and there will be accountability to hold you to all of that. And the point is, is to work together as a community and a collaborative. And as the saying I use all the time, together we rise. So using the intellect, the skills, the business knowledge of other women in this group, plus the accountability measures, I have seen masterminds do some amazing things. So I wanted to do one for ourselves. Now I am asking that everybody put a little bit of skin in the game. There's an application to fill out. But if you are a fierce physician female and you are attempting to get your business going, this is the place you want to be. So check out the link for the application in the show notes as well. And always remember your life, your calling, your pulse matters. <music>